0: Morning. Would you give Ken a hand? (laughs) Hey, by the way, doesn't Ken's goatee look awesome? (laughs) He's going to kill me later. I'm just jealous because I can't grow a beard, Ken. I'm, I'm just, Pastor Glenn caught me this morning and he said, Where's your whiskers? For those of you that are visiting with us today, you missed it. I had this beautiful beard and it's gone. No, not really. It wasn't beautiful. It was like a beard that's trying too hard. You know what I mean? And, and um, he said, I was afraid you got fired from your, your character on, on Esther because your beard wasn't good enough. He said, it wasn't like Elijah's. I'm like, "Yeah." Pastor Tim took one look and said, that won't do. You're fired. So anyways, I shaved. So Pastor Glenn, he's okay now. Hey, I read a statistic this, uh, this morning and, and recently too that that kind of shocked me. Would you like to hear it? it? It's interesting. It says, according to Facebook, 75% of the world's mobile data traffic will be video by 2020. Kind of, that kind of surprised me. I, I thought, okay, that means in three years, more people in the world will be getting their information by watching a video online uh, rather than, say, reading a newspaper or even reading a website or a blog. Or anything like that. And when I thought about that, I thought, we folks are in the wrong business. (laughs) We need to be in the video making business, don't we? Because that's where it's headed. Now, the the real thought I had was, who reads anymore? Who reads anymore? You should see my kids. When I suggest on one day that they're bored and I say, hey, why don't you guys pick up a book? You would think that I just said, vacuum the house. (laughs) Or go clean your room. I mean, it's like they think I'm torturing them, seriously. Seriously. And I don't mean it that way, but anyway, speaking of reading, I, I did something this week that for the very first time, I've, I've never done it in all my 29 years of life. <laughs> what? See, you guys are so sharp. I can't put anything past you. 29 years. I'm in church and I'm already saying I'm 29 years. You guys know that's not true. I just want to make sure you're listening. I read, I, I read a comic book. I've never done that before. My son, he's into comic books, and uh, I figure if he's interested in it, I want to be interested in it, and so I started reading it, and as I was reading it, you know, I was interested in it, and I I liked it, but I just wanted to say that at no time, as I was reading this comic book, did I think it was real. You know, when I was reading the comic book, I I didn't think, like, Batman is really a guy who's got a cape, and he, he hangs around Elkton, Maryland, you know stopping crime. I didn't think I was going to see Catwoman at Rite Aid, that kind of thing. But it occurred to me as I was reading this comic book that there have been occasions in my life, I think, where I read the Bible in almost the same way as I was reading that comic book. Kind of like, maybe, is it made up? Is it fake? Is it just pretend? Is it just a made-up story And yet the Bible doesn't claim that for itself. The Bible actually claims something quite different. The Bible claims that you and I are actually to take it seriously and read it, not like it's a comic book, but but like it's real. It's history from real people and real lives and what they did. Could it be that God really did write a unique book to reveal himself to all of us. That of all the books in the world, there's not one like this book. So the title of my message this morning is, Is the Bible Fake News? We hear a lot about fake news. And I feel like sometimes we're not sure how to tell the difference. It's hard for me, anyways. I want to share three thoughts on Scripture with you this morning. And the first thought is real simple, and it's that Scripture is real. Scripture is real. Um... Over 3,000 times in the Bible, the, the writers claim to have received their messages from God. This is what the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 1.20 and 21. It says, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy, or the writings of Scripture, never came by the will of man... In other words, man did not initiate it. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Now, what Peter's saying is that God thought it up and men wrote it down. That's what he's saying. That when these men were writing, they were really writing the words of God. What I want to do this morning is is talk to you about the basics of the Christian life. And one of the most important basics, one of the most important fundamentals in the Christian life, Um, I found out. I didn't know this. I'm a Philadelphia Eagle fan, but I did not know. Yes, it's good. That's all right. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Uh, Mark Alexander and I were back there talking. I told Marcus I was doing a little research, and I found out that the Eagles won 1960 NFL championship before the AFC and the NFC came together. And uh, I don't know if you know what happened after that. It's one of the most famous things that ever happened. Uh, The Eagles beat the Green Bay Packers in 1960. In 1961, Vince Lombardi, the famous football coach for the Green Bay Packers, decided to try a new theory. That year in training camp, 1961, they just lost to the Eagles the year before. He comes into training camp. He's holding a football in his hand. He talks to these men who just the year earlier were probably 4 minutes or so from winning the championship in their sport. These were not newbies, these were not novices. These guys knew what they were doing. And yet he held up this football and he said, "Gentlemen, this is a football." He didn't want to take anything for granted. Nothing at all. And I feel like in my life God lately has been saying to me, "Brad, this is a Bible." And I want you, Brad, to get back to basics, back to the fundamentals of what it means to follow Christ. And so this morning, we're just talking about the Bible, God's Word, how fundamental it is. And so this is what Gordon Lewis says, God prepared these conscious, active, prophetic and apostolic spokesmen and their secretaries providentially... What does it mean that holy men of God wrote by the Holy Spirit? What does that really mean? Can we seriously think that the Bible has all the answers to our life's questions? Can we really? Well, according to the Bible, we can. According to Christ, we can. It says that he providentially prepared them by their heredity, character, vocabularies, and writing styles. At the appropriate time, in all the process of writing, they were moved by the Holy Spirit. This technical meaning of inspiration does not apply to any alleged revelations outside of the Bible or to any literature that in a more general sense may be said to be inspiring. Uh, Norman Vincent Peale wrote The Power of Positive Thinking. That's an inspiring book, but that's not what we mean when we say it's inspired. When we say the Bible is inspired by God, we literally mean God himself breathed out his thoughts onto paper and, and had these men write it down. That's what we mean when we talk about the Word of God. Now, notice the words Peter uses. He says that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. You know, it's funny. When we talk about religion and faith, have you ever heard somebody say this to you before? Oh, that's good, but that's your interpretation. You ever heard somebody say that to you? I I have. When you talk to people, sometimes they say, well, well, Brad, that's good. I mean, that works for you, but that's your interpretation. That's your opinion. As if matters of faith, such as salvation and Jesus and heaven and the Bible and hell and uh, spiritual things, as if those can only be determined through opinion. And yet the Bible says there's lots of evidence for Christianity The word private interpretation, it's the word Peter uses here in the Greek, and it actually means, this is the word. Are you ready? Are you ready? All right, wake up for a second. It's the word idios. Idios. Now, what word do we get from idios? Idiot. We get the word idiot, right? Paul says, no prophecy of Scripture is of any private idios. What's he saying? In other words, the men whom God inspired to write the Bible did not do so out of their own selves, from their own idios, which will you will recognize the word idiot. Peter is saying that the Bible did not originate in the idiotic nature of human nature. It's like, Peter's basically saying, look, any idiot can write down words and say they came from God. And many people have throughout history, you know what I'm saying? Many people throughout history have written words and say, oh, it came from God. Usually we put them in an insane asylum. But God, Peter's saying that the Bible did not originate inside of our, any, any one person's human nature. He says, what you're holding in your hands, the Bible, the Scripture... Aren't the mad scribblings of some idiot, but rather the very words that God has breathed out as he's exhaling. Now, is this true? Is this true? The Bible itself claims to be from God. Obviously, just because a book claims something doesn't make it true. So how do we know? By the way, aren't there other questions people have sometimes about the Bible? Questions? Tell me if I'm going to read these questions. Tell me if you've ever had these questions before. Questions people ask about the Bible: How do I know that the Bible really came from God Himself? How do I know that the Bible is God's Word, but other sacred texts are not, like the Quran or the Bhagavad Gita or some of these other words uh, scriptures? Does the Bible contain errors? Is the Bible fake news? Isn't the Bible too ancient? Too old to have any relevance to our modern day lives? Has science and technology made the Bible irrelevant? Why should I seriously try to orient my life around keeping commands of Scripture? And then my last question is who can answer these questions for us? I mean, when you have these questions, who do you go to? Where do you go? A psychiatrist? A priest? A pastor? Your parents? Maybe your own heart? See, the fact is, every person in this room has to choose what their source of authority is for their life. In other words, where are they going to find truth with a capital T? When they want to know truth and insight about life, where do they go? We all have to choose an authority. One pastor says there's basically two choices. One is called speculation. And this is what most people in the world are doing. Speculation. If I don't go to the Bible for help, then at least I can go watch Oprah or Dr. Phil or Dr. Drew. Or at least I can go read Plato, Aristotle, or Socrates. But when you choose that source of authority, all you have are the best guesses of people. When you read philosophers, it's just their best guesses. They're just speculating. They don't know they've never been to heaven how could they know whether it exists or not the second choice we have is revelation revelation that's God supernaturally revealing truth to us humans that we never could have known on our own that we never could have known on our own and Pastor Ed Young says your source determines your course whichever source in life you choose whether it's speculation And you go to your psychiatrist or your psychologist or to a professor or a friend and you put all your trust in them and when they say something, you take it as gospel. If that's you, that's called speculation. If, however, you take revelation, you end up in two different places. Which source do you choose determines the course of your life. Like where you end up determines where you start out. Alice in Wonderland Alice asks the cat, she says, which way should I go? And the cat says, well, that depends on which way, where you want to get to. She says, oh, it doesn't really matter. Then he says, it doesn't really matter which way you go then. If, If you start out with a closed mind and you say in your mind, I will never believe the Bible is God's word. I don't care. I'm not going to live by it. I don't believe it. Then that's where you're going to end up. If you start out, however, with an open mind and an open heart, And you say, I'm going to go where the evidence leads me. Then you'll end up probably where you should. It's like the guy, he was a PhD student, and one day he went to his professor, and and he was asking him about his dissertation. And as this professor was talking to him, the young man started answering questions. So the professor would ask him a question, and and the guy would answer his question. And then he would say say this. He'd say, as told to me by the pizza guy on 5th and 6th Avenue. And then the, uh, the professor would ask him another question, and then he, this student would answer. He said, so-and-so, this is my answer. And he says, as, uh, as Chuck down at the uh, corner store told me. Finally, the professor breaks in and said, dude, you can't just quote people you've met that are strangers. You've you got to have some written footnotes here, man. And the student says, why? Why do I have to have written footnotes? professor said, all right, hey, it's, it's all right, no problem, I just wanted to see where you're coming from. 30 days later, this student got a notice, and the, the professor told him, we're so happy and proud to be able to say, we have awarded you your PhD. You passed, it's yours, you've earned it. The only thing is, we're not going to give it to you in writing. How would that go? That probably wouldn't go very well. Isn't there something about Having something in writing, that's important. Some people who disagree with marriage will sometimes say, I don't need a piece of paper. I don't need a piece of paper uh, to, to say that I love this person. And anybody who thinks about it for 30 seconds or more realizes it's not about a piece of paper. I thought about that. And I wondered, how would that work? How would that work the next time you go to get your paycheck? You go get your paycheck and your boss says, you know, you've done great work, but I'm not going to give it to you in writing. I'm just going to tell you about it. I mean, there's something about the writing process that means something to us as humans. It's important. The second thought is that Scripture is right. Scripture is real. Scripture is right. This is what King David said. Therefore, all your precepts concerning all things I consider to be right I have a friend of mine who is not a Christian and one time he said to me Brad you're crazy he said do you really seriously do you really think that one book I mean out of all the books that have been written throughout the centuries holds all the answers to everything and I, I said to him well What do we mean when we say the Bible is God's word and the Bible is inspired? What do we mean by that? And here's a thought I want to share with you this morning. Everything in the Bible is true, but not everything that is true is in the Bible. That's my answer. Everything in the Bible is true, but not everything that's true is in the Bible. For example, if I want to go teach my My son's algebra one class. I'm not going to bring the Bible in and go, "All right, guys, I've got your algebra one lesson for today." All right, let's open up to let's all open up to Romans chapter twelve. We're going to study algebra two algebra one today. No, right, because that's not what the Bible's for. We understand that the Bible wasn't written to tell us everything about math and science and English and and. And psychology and everything else. It just wasn't. Why did God write the Bible? He wrote it so that He could reveal who He is, so that we could know God and understand who Christ is and how He came to save us and how God relates to us and loves us. That's why He wrote the Bible. But David says this I consider everything you say to be right in the Bible. So, I'm not going to use the the Bible for a handbook to teach Algebra 1. However, when the Bible speaks about math, it's always right. When the Bible does speak about science, it's always correct. It never makes an error. I'll give you an example. Take science, for example. Notice this in Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah the prophet said, God sits above the circle of the earth. So if you're here today and you believe that the earth is flat, I need to apologize to you. Because it's not. The Bible teaches the earth is a planet. It's a a ball. It's a circle. When the Bible speaks about science, it knows what it's talking about. Though I wouldn't necessarily use the Bible to go into a science class and say, now we're going to talk about uh, human biology today. Does that make sense? The people... Below seem like grasshoppers to him. He spreads out the heavens like a curtain and makes his tent from them. Job says, God stretches the northern sky over empty space and hangs the earth on nothing. When the Bible speaks, it's clear and it's true. You know, may I tell you one of the main reasons I believe the Bible is God's word? One of the main reasons I believe it is it's well known when people would write history They would write history in such a way that it made certain groups look good and certain groups look bad. So if you were a history writer and you had King so-and-so who said, I want you to write my biography and I'm going to pay you loads of money to do it, you would be dumb to write a biography that made that king look bad, right? That wouldn't be smart of you. When human beings, when we write history, we write it with a bias. We write it according to our own prejudices, according to our own thoughts and feelings. But when you come to the Bible, you notice something remarkable. It's it's totally different than every other book in the world. Sixty-six books written by over 40 authors over a span of 1,500 years with one single theme throughout the entire part of every book. The theme of Christ being God's Son and the Messiah coming to save people from their sins. When the men wrote the Bible, they did it honestly. He says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, they didn't write according to their own biases or prejudices. For prophecy never came by the will of man, they weren't getting a commission to write the Bible. So, they didn't have an axe to grind. There was no dog in that fight. They, they weren't trying to make one race better than another race when they were writing. But holy men of God spoke, and notice the words, as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit moved these men as they were writing. I'll give you an example Moses. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Moses wrote them. So a lot of them are kind of like his autobiography. He wrote them. And in Exodus chapter 2, you know what Moses writes? He tells the story of how he murdered an Egyptian in cold blood. It's kind of odd, right? It's kind of a weird confession from one of God's holy men. But that's what he says. He says, I, Moses... Killed an Egyptian man and then buried him in the sand so nobody could find him. Um, Hillary Clinton just came out with a book called What Happened. Um, Do you think she's on the tour now? Do you think that book is written in a way that makes her look good or bad? Yet Moses tells us about himself murders and all, warts and all. And not just Moses. King David, one of God's greatest servants, is revealed to have committed adultery and then to have colluded in the murder of a righteous man. We read of Rahab the prostitute who God spared from being killed because she exercised faith in God's promises. Think of Peter the apostle who we've been reading this morning. Peter gets a lot of airtime in the Bible. Peter gets a lot of airtime, especially in the New Testament. And yet... Peter writes about himself denying Jesus. Listen, if I wanted to make myself look good, I certainly wouldn't be writing about how I cursed and swore and said, I don't know Jesus. It's not a smart move, is it? That's one of the reasons I believe the Bible is real. That's one of the reasons I believe it just didn't come from humans. Because if it was from humans, whoa, he well, would have just written all the good stuff, pretty much. We'd have found a way to make ourselves look good. But God said, no, I'm going to give the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And I'm going to give it to you in a way that you understand. The Bible gives us the whole picture. And this is exactly, exactly why I want to share the third thought, which is that Scripture is relevant. It's relevant to our lives. You see, I I don't really relate too well to perfection because I'm not perfect and when I get around somebody who always tells me the best parts of their life and who always tells me stories where somehow they are the hero of the story every single time, I think something's off here because nobody's that good, nobody's that perfect, right? Some people wonder, is the Bible too old? Is it so ancient that it no longer applies to our lives? Sometimes when people say that, I like to ask them, well, how old is the sun? Is the sun relevant to your life? (laughs) Yeah, I think so. We still need the sun, don't we? And the moon and the stars. See, a human being... Living in the Bible times was not much different than a human being living in our times. A a human being who was carrying a shepherd's staff is not much different than a human being carrying an iPhone. The technology may be different, but the human's the same. Same needs, same desires, same dreams and goals, same roles. Would you agree that something can be old but useful? That's what my kids say, Dad, that's you. <laughs> old and useful. Now, can you give me $10? <laughs> they don't care how old I am, as long as I can get the green stuff, right? Parents, you know what I'm saying. The Bible is relevant with its truths because it's timeless. Like there's no generation it doesn't apply to. Notice this verse. This is Paul talking to Timothy. He says, but you, Timothy, must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. Many of you have grown up in church. You went to Sunday school as a child. You've been taught that the Bible is the word of God. People showed that to you and talked to you about that. He says, you know they are true, the things you've been taught, you know they are true. For you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. Um, I I was rummaging through some things this week, and I I found something very special to me, and I hadn't seen it for a while. This is my childhood Bible that my mom and dad gave me when I was about five or six years old. And my wife was like, are you sure that's yours? I was like, oh yeah, I know because there's two laser beams coming out of Jesus' eyes toward the lamb that I took a paper clip when I was about five or six and I drew laser beams, you know? I don't know if I had the idea of Superman or what, but this is my childhood Bible. This is the one they gave me to start reading and to to utilize, and I can't help but relate to Timothy when Paul says, Timothy, listen, you know that since you were a little kid, knee-high, your teachers have been teaching you about God's word. He says, you need to stay faithful to that teaching. You need to come back to it if you've gone away from it. You know it's true because you know the good people that taught it to you. Watch their lives. They've been faithful. I remember Toy Steed, and I honor her name this morning. She was one of my Sunday school teachers, and I'll never forget her teaching. She's with the Lord now, but I honor her name this morning because she taught me about Jesus. Just a little lady who was willing to come in and teach a bunch of five, six, seven-year-olds who were rowdy and hard to get along with about Jesus. I honor her name today. Verse 16, all Scripture is inspired by God. That word inspired literally means... It literally means God breathed. God exhaled and out came the scriptures. That's kind of the idea. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful. Ancient, but useful. Timeless, but useful. Relevant. To teach us, number, number one, what is true Number two, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. Number three, it corrects us when we're wrong. And number four, and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Paul says the Bible is special because it's practical. It tells us four things. What to believe, what not to believe, how to behave, and how not to behave. That's, I don't know how you get more practical than that. It's one of the reasons I believe the Bible came from God, because it really applies to the nitty-gritty in our lives. Now, some of you say, well, Brad, where does it say all that? (laughs) I've never read that. I like practical. If I could find that in the Bible, I'd understand it better. 2 Thessalonians 3.10 says, even while we were with you, we gave you this command, those unwilling to work will not get to eat. That's one of those verses I like to share and read to people when they say I just don't understand the Bible. It's just too hard to understand. And I look at them and say, you don't work, you don't eat. That hard to understand? It's not that hard to understand. It's pretty plain. Sometimes I think it's more like Mark Twain said. It ain't those parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It is the parts that I do understand. Like loving my neighbor. Like giving a tithe to God. Like being honest. Having a fair day's wage. An honest scale in your business. Paying your taxes. We all understand those things. Sometimes those are the ones that trip us up the most, I think. Some of you say, well, it is hard to understand, Brad. There's parts I just don't understand. Did that just come off? (laughs) Ken, what am I going to do, man? (laughs) So anyways, (laughs) um, I'll improvise. (laughs) now it feels like my lunch tray <laughs> notice this verse here Second Peter I've lost you now <laughs> I should just say amen let's eat right <laughs> well let me do this let me just close and I want to close with this story okay and it, it, it meant something to me um, you, you may not have ever heard this man's name or you may have I don't know uh, his name is Nabil Qureshi, and he was actually born in California as a U.S. citizen to Pakistani parents. Uh, his parents were actually followers of an Islamic sect. So he, for the first part of his life, he was uh, a Muslim. He, he followed Islam. And in August of 2001, while he was a student at Old Dominion University, Nabil, who was, I forgot to tell you this part, By the age of five, he'd already read the Quran in Arabic, and he had memorized part of it. So he was like, not just a a, a follower of Islam, he was a card-carrying follower of Islam. You know what I'm saying? He was serious about it. He would defend it to anybody. So as he's a student at Old Dominion University, he sees a friend of his, a guy named David Wood, who is a Christian, reading his Bible on his free time. Now, Nabeel would read the Quran all the time. But he thought it was odd to see a Christian reading the Bible on their own for some reason. So Nabil walked up to David and started challenging him on his beliefs in Christianity. Unbeknownst to Nabil, David wanted to be a Christian apologist. He wanted to be a defender of the Christian faith. And that has to do with philosophy and science and all kinds of things. To express to the world the truth of Christianity. So they began a friendship. They started talking. And I guess for two and a half years, Nabil searched and examined the evidence for Christianity and specifically the Bible. He describes his final conversion to Christ and I wanted to read it to you. Nabil says, I began mourning the impact of the decision I knew I had to make. On the first day of my second year of medical school, it became too much to bear. Yearning for comfort, I decided to skip school Returning to my apartment, I placed the Quran and the Bible in front of me. I turned to the Quran, but there was no comfort. For the first time, the book seemed utterly irrelevant to my suffering, irrelevant to my life. It felt like a dead book. With nowhere left to go, I opened up the New Testament and started reading. Very quickly, I came to the passage that said... Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Electric, the words leapt off the page and jump-started my heart. I could not put the Bible down. But Jesus, I said, accepting you would be like dying. Because if you're a Muslim and you convert to Christianity, your family disowns you. He says, I will have to give up everything. The next verses spoke to me, saying... He who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. I knelt at the foot of my bed and gave up my life. Nabil went on to study Christian apologetics at Biola University. Graduating with a master's in 2008. In 2013, some of you may know of Ravi Zachariah and his ministry... Nabil became an itinerant speaker for Ravi Zachariah's ministry. In 2014, he published his first book. In 2016, his second book. And five months later, his third book. On the day of the release of his third book, Nabil wrote on his Facebook page that he had been diagnosed with advanced stomach cancer. In May of 2017, Nabil wrote, that the radiation treatment had not worked and that the cancer had spread to his chest. And in September of 2017, this year, his doctors decided to place him on palliative care as there were no further medical options to pursue. Nabil died yesterday from advanced stomach cancer. He was 34. He survived by his wife, his family, You say, Brad, why are you sharing all this with us? I'm sharing it because for the first two-thirds of this man's life, Islam ruled his beliefs and his choices. Until. Until he watched a Christian from a distance open his Bible and just read. And God reached down into Nabil's heart and said, I love you. I died for you. He got interested. Simply from watching a fellow Christian read the Bible. What if you read the Bible this week, but you read it like you mean it? You know what I'm saying? Not like we glance over the headlines, not like we read a website or look for information, but you read it like you mean it like it really is from God to you. What difference would that make in your life? For Nabil, who died yesterday, it means he's with Jesus now. He left Muhammad and Islam behind. I have decided to follow Jesus I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The difference is what Paul said, to Peter, uh, Paul said to Timothy. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting Christ Jesus. The reason the Bible is so wonderful is because it teaches us how to get to Jesus and how Jesus came to us. And this morning, as I close, I just want to give you an opportunity. Maybe you're visiting with us and maybe you've never heard a message on the Bible quite like this. Or maybe you have, and, and you were raised in church, and you were taught the Bible, but maybe you've kind of moved away from it. Maybe it's been a little while since you've opened it and read God's Word to you. Or maybe, maybe you're here, and you, you think, I, I would like a relationship with Jesus like Nabil had. You can do that right from your seat.